Welcome to The Ticker Tapes, a podcast by the BHF. This bonus episode is a live recording of a panel discussion held in June 2019 to launch the BHF's Women and Heart Disease campaign to the media. As this is a live recording, the sound quality may vary. Hello, I'm Caroline. I'm one of the directors at the British Heart Foundation. As women, I think we worry a lot about breast cancer and we don't realise that we're twice as likely, in fact, to die of heart disease than from breast cancer. But even worse than that, we do so much poorer than men. Men get diagnosed faster, they get treated better, and this is something that really the BHF wants to put a spotlight on. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. As the editor-in-chief of Women's Health, one of my grand strategies is to highlight what we call hidden health for women. So we write about things like heart health. We write about things like the perimenopause, endometriosis, the mesh scandal. I'm absolutely thrilled that I've been asked to chair this panel this evening with such an illustrious um, list of panellists who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Esther Stanhope. I actually had a heart attack in 2017. As you can see, I have survived. Um, I feel really well now. I've got my mojo back. And I didn't know I was having a heart attack. But um, now I'm, I'm a speaker, I'm a mum of two, and I'm living a, you know, a, an active, healthy life. But <clears throat> honestly, I had no idea. And I really want to help people understand what it's like to actually have a heart attack, what it feels like, and what to look out for. My name's Chris Gale. I'm a cardiologist, general cardiologist, so practicing in the NHS. I'm also Professor of Cardiovascular Medicine at Leeds University, and one of my other roles is the Director of uh, the Leeds Institute for Data Analytics, so we do a lot of research around data about heart disease. Thank you. Duchess. I'm um, sexy, sassy and super. It's <laughs> I'm hitting 60 in October, and I don't want to get heart disease. Uh, so um, I'm an ambassador for the British Heart Foundation in order to make... The, spread the awareness that more of us wonderful ladies should go and get choked up very quickly, very easily, correct? Absolutely. And, um, and spread the word about geniuses like you. Absolutely. You are absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Lucy. Uh, my name's Lucy Mangan. I'm a Guardian's TV reviewer and columnist for Styles Magazine, so I'm absolutely here under false pretenses. Um, <laughs> but I'm hoping to learn a lot and then hopefully spread the word again about... How once again we're getting shafted, basically, I think is the <laughs> too long didn't read version. Thank you, Alexandra. I'm Alexandra Shulman. Um, it always used to be easy for me to say what I did because I said I edited Vogue, which I did for 25 years. But um, two years I have been doing a mixture of things. And one of them is a column for the Mail on Sunday. And I wrote something... Um, about uh, CPR and wanting to learn it in the uh, in the mail, and the British Heart Foundation got in touch with me and came and gave me and my neighbours a hysterically funny le lesson in what to do, um, and very good workout for the arms. And um, we were talking about uh, this and this event, and uh, I was very keen to, to be part of it and to help spread the word and, and also actually learn something myself. Thank you. Finally, Vijay. Good evening. I'm Vijay Kunardian. I'm a consultant interventional cardiologist uh, from up north, Newcastle. Um, so I'm pretty much in the front line looking after patients that come in with heart disease. 
and heart attacks. As much as I love my job, uh, I hate heart disease because it's just so devastating to see all the, um, the shock and the trauma that it causes to the family. Uh, and I'm also a researcher because we need to do more research to find out the best ways to make progress in the way we treat people with heart disease. Thank you. Chris, if I can start with you, because your research is one of the reasons why we're here tonight. Can you tell us the state of play for women's heart health in the UK? Yeah, well, firstly, I, I must say thanks to the British Heart Foundation because they've supported me and my research group to be able to do this research. Uh, and and one, one of the things in the UK that we are very uh, fortunate is that we have got the world's best and largest data set about heart attacks. And this is where my team have cut... Uh, their teeth on in, in terms of producing outputs and that's really provided the evidence that has brought us together today to talk about. We used this big national heart attack data set of hundreds of thousands of patients and we compare how women do compared with men in terms of their provision of care. And what we found when we've studied hundreds of thousands of patients is that consistently not just in the UK, but also in the big Swedish data sets, is that women are less likely to receive this guideline-indicated, everyday, routine care compared with men. And guess what? They're more likely <coughs> to die as a consequence. We can do lots of statistics around it. And one of our papers suggested that if we'd uh, delivered care appropriately to women compared with men at the same standard, over a number of years, we probably have saved about 8,000 deaths, or prevented about 8,000 deaths. And it's the, the one question we're here for this evening. Why do you think that it's such an imbalance in care? I think there are a number of reasons. There's biology and bias. There's biology. That's how we are built and how we, ha how we suffer our heart attacks. But there's also probably an underlying bias. And that's not necessarily a bias in terms of a healthcare professional such as Vijay and myself because I'm sure we're trying our best. But I think there's also a bias in terms of a perception, what I call a misperception. And I'm sure we'll come on to that later, later on about how we actually interpret what a heart attack is when we are a patient, but also what we expect and who we expect to have a heart attack. And the underlying message here is that, yes, women do have heart attacks and they do have cardiovascular disease. Which brings me on to you, Esther. Your story is quite astonishing. The, the most... Astonishing fact is that you went to CrossFit while you were having a heart attack. Oh, yes. Now, most people can't do CrossFit in, in peak health. You did a CrossFit class in New York while now you know you were having a heart attack. Yeah, I, do, I don't think if you don't fancy CrossFit, don't try it. It's not really. <laughs> I mean, I just didn't know it was a heart attack. I, I, the, the symptoms started probably six weeks before, and I was at the airport on my way to Amsterdam, and I just had this shortness of breath, kind of like. You know, I can't quite catch my breath. And has anyone ever felt that before? Like, hands up if you felt like that kind of, maybe it's asthma, maybe it's a panic attack or something where you're just upset, something, and I didn't know what it was. And um, I did say to my, my husband, look, I don't be shocked, but I definitely felt something. But, you know, I have got to go to New York in a couple of weeks. It's like, ooh, I don't know about that. So I did, I went to New York, I was with my, my um, sister-in-law and she said, let's go to this CrossFit class. I was in New York and I'd had a series of these feelings, but in the CrossFit class, we were doing burpees <laughs> with weights. I mean, what the hell are you lying on, on the floor going up? And I just, I just felt really sick and couldn't quite catch my breath again. I thought, well, it's okay, just breathe, just do the yoga breathing. 
you know, you can almost get over anything by breathing. And I just couldn't quite get back to normal. And I, I was thinking, if I breathe a bit faster, I might collapse, but I'm, I'm not going to collapse. It's okay. It's okay. And I kind of walked, I kind of talked myself out of collapsing. And I thought, no, this isn't right. This isn't right, but I'm okay. And then it kind of wore off. Um, so I, my brother said, we should go to the hospital. I said, I'm not going to hospital in America. You must be joking. <laughs> even, though I, even though I had insurance, you know, which is awful because I was in denial. So I waited, waited until I got home. Probably 48 hours later, I got back to London. And I was really, really tired, but I thought, I better ring, I'll ring the surgery. So I rang them up and said, look, I had a series of, you know, uh, they said, have you had any chest pain? I said, it wasn't pain. It was just a feeling, you know, I couldn't really breathe very well. And no, there wasn't pain. I heard that it was like an elephant on your chest. I said, it wasn't an elephant, it was a kitten. It wasn't even a kitten. <laughs> and I had a, a, did you have a sensation? Did, you, did your arm go numb? Well, it wouldn't go numb, but I did feel something down my left arm. Do you have heart disease in your family? Well, yeah, my dad actually did die of a heart attack. But I am one of six and I have four brothers that have a much worse lifestyle than me. And, and I just didn't think that I was at risk. Although when you hear that my dad died of a heart attack, it seems obvious, but it didn't really seem that obvious to me. Anyway, as soon as you heard, father died of a heart attack, you've been on a long haul flight, a numbness down your left arm when you've had a shortness of breath. She said, don't bother coming to the surgery, go straight to A&E. Do not pass go, go straight to A&E. So as soon as I got to A&E and they said, have you had a shortness of breath? They, they took it quite seriously. But actually, they didn't tell me what was going on. They just said, oh, we need to do these tests. And again, they didn't call it a heart attack. They called it an event. They said, we weren't, we weren't expecting the result. So it fits perfectly with what we found in some of our research. And I was just thinking then, actually, the initial diagnosis was probably wrong. It, 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 they may well have been thinking that you had a clot in the lung yeah. or some, something else. And we found that in our, in our research, that women were much more likely to be misdiagnosed, mm. even though they had a heart attack. Yeah, uh, that, I, I can believe that. Um, they wouldn't tell me that the... They didn't say, in, in kind of layman's terms, this is really serious. The ECG is showing that you may have had a heart attack. They didn't say that. They just said, we weren't expecting that kind of result. Mm. And it turned out that I did need a stent. I, had a, I ended up, it was actually the, uh, one of the women doctors, she said, you need to be an inpatient in order to, get, to jump the queue so we can get this angiogram. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, you need to be an inpatient. Well, what does that mean? We well, have to stay at the hospital. I was like, no. I mean, there's nothing wrong with me. I mean, and then one of the doctors said, have you had, heart, have you had chest pain? And I was like, look, I haven't really had chest pains. They're not pains. And I said, do you want me to kind of, you know, Walk up and down. He went, no, don't <laughs> bring it on, bring on the heart attack. But um, but then I had to have a stent put in. So you know, I feel like a lot of people was after I had my stent put in went, oh, my grandma's had one of those. My granddad's got a stent. Has anyone got a granddad or a grandma with a stent? <laughs> PJ, is Esther's story familiar to you? Absolutely, it's a very very common story that I get from patients a while ago. The image for a heart attack was a band across the chest mm. and that's not what every woman experience they might get pain in their neck they might feel dizzy uh, they might feel generally unwell and some patient they would just say I felt very sick like uh, Esther mm. was having or indigestion is a very common uh, symptom uh, of a heart attack in, in, in women and they think oh it's just indigestion I'll take Gaviscon and they take Gaviscon for days and of course, it's actually at the onset, it's the heart attack. And for, if you leave it untreated for days, 
then the consequences happen, damage to the heart muscle and development of heart failure. There are instances where men also ignore symptoms. In fact, I had a patient yesterday, he thought it was indigestion. Right. So his wife drove him to a, a district hospital, whereas he should have come to us directly. Duchess, when I had what I now think were panic attacks in January, I genuinely told the ambulance I don't have time for a heart attack, you're being ridiculous. <laughs> How do you think we can persuade women to put themselves first and actually prioritise their own health? With great difficulty. Yeah. I think women are 24-7 CEOs. And I think that, um, and I think, which I like that expression. Um, and I, I, I think it's really hard. I personally think it's almost impossible to not be a caregiver because we, we, how many of you know that expression? Oh, I'll just do it myself. Oh, well, I'll just, do it. I'll just run upstairs or whatever it is. Oh, and let's go away. It's just ridiculous. I'll put my head in a paper bag. Yeah. So I think that this is something that we need to address very openly and um and that, that that's what I, I like to do but yeah i think it is serious now i, I mean 50 i think it's 50 percent of women are that are, 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 are oh, more likely to be misdiagnosed yeah, misdiagnosed yes. yes so that's quite serious really Alexandra, you've had a long career in the media do you think the media is part of the problem um in, in regards to the image that is out there of heart attacks which is old, overweight men collapsing dramatically on soaps and then the soaps credits come up at the end. Before doing this research, this is what I thought a heart attack was. Um, well, not for the first time. I'm going to make myself unpopular and say I don't think that the media are to blame. Um, and I don't think it's to do with middle-class men dominating it. I mean, I think that... Um, there's a lack of education. I mean, to me, what's startling is everybody I spoke to about coming to do this, when I told them the stats, just had no idea. Mm. And um, so what I feel is there's absolutely no point banging on about who's to blame. The key thing to do is to try and work out, you know, what the, what the good message is. I mean, in a way, we want to say to women, you've got to love your heart, don't we, you know? got to love your heart as much as you love your booze. I mean, I don't know what other people do, but I don't think I've had any checkup ever on anything to do with my mm. heart, and I'm 61. So um, that seems to me to be a starter, you know, that, mm. that instead of being so concerned really about whether or not there's a male bias about it, I think if women were informed what they should be checking, mm. what they should be asking to have done, mm. that would be something I would be sort of keener to... What should they be asking, Chris? I think you're absolutely right. I think that you know part of the problem here is that we've been so successful in treating heart attacks historically. You know the advances that we have from clock busting drugs, which are all fastened to what VJ does, which is completely heroic, middle of the night emergency medicine and cardiology. We're putting operating on people to save lives. It is, it is heroic. It's changed things dramatically, but actually. Part of that has been a problem because we think we've solved cardiac disease. Uh, and if we think we've solved it for men who we think have got cardiac disease, then we're leaving a, a, a huge problem because cardiac disease still kills most people in the world and probably most women in the world. Um, so there's, a, there's an unmet need there. And um, what, what can we do? Yeah, we need, we need a rebrand, we need a recalibration, we need a rethink as to what actually heart disease and heart attacks are, 
and who they affect. Thank you. And Lucy, what role can the media play in this in disseminating much wider? I know just Meg Matthews is sat here and you've opened up the conversation around menopause, yeah. which is wonderful. And um, and I think many people are following suit and, and, and opening up the conversation about something that people weren't talking about three yeah. years ago. Can we follow suit with heart disease amongst women, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's tricky because I think I think the media is, I mean, blame, blame is the wrong word, but there are things, the media, we're all influenced by the images we see in the media and the dominant image has always been of the man clutching his chest and falling to the ground for heart, for heart attacks. I was saying earlier to people at the BHF that, that the part of who were asking me how they get cut through for just all these, these stats and, the, and, and change the paradigm, as you say, and how they can basically emulate the success of breast cancer that has had um, of raising awareness. And the, the great thing that breast cancer had going for it was that it gave the media of all stripes who hadn't had the excuse before uh, to put boobs on their front page. It was very, very useful. It worked a treat. And, preg and, and celebrities were prepared to wear little lovely pink ribbons and there, was a vi you know, there were plenty of you know, helpful visual stuff to be going on with, um, which heart disease just doesn't have. And it's probably the problem with, with menopause as well, that um, uh, it doesn't have quite that you know, allure for what I would say was, was still a male middle class dominated um, environment. Um, so the short answer would be to have, you know, to get cut through in the media for heart for these problems, you would either have to have someone very famous um, uh, dropping dead of a female, dropping dead of a heart, unexpected heart attack, that would be tremendously useful. Or, um, or you find a way of making hearts sexy. You know, these, this is the shortcut to do it. But the, you know, the organic way to do it is just to get the message out, probably more on social media, because I do think Twitter and that kind of thing is, is, is the most democratic tool we have at our disposal. And just these little things where people are like, yes, yeah, oh, that's outra I'm outraged now. Thank you. Esther, what do you think might have helped you before you had your heart attack? I, I, I just didn't think that people of a certain age, of a certain health, um, would have a heart attack, and I, and I thought if I had a heart attack, it would be, you know, that would be it. On the floor. Yeah, I literally, yeah. yeah, and also I, I truly believed because I've got four brothers and I've got a sister, one of six. I really would have thought if you'd lined us all up in a row, I would have said, him and him, they will have heart attacks. <laughs> I can't believe my, my my oldest brother's really stressed, smokes, drinks. I mean, honestly, and and, and he hasn't had a heart attack. Um, not that I'm, you know, I, I, I've lived a full life. Um, I, I used to be a social smoker, um, but I'm, I don't smoke anymore. Um, but I, I just, I think it, it, I just didn't have it in my mind. I didn't have it. And even though my dad died, he died in 1977, he was only 40. He did run upstairs, had a sudden heart attack and collapsed on the floor went into a coma immediately and then died a couple of weeks later. That was like the classic male, off the scale, didn't ever come around from his coma. I thought that's what a heart attack was. I didn't think it was, you know, a slight shortness of breath. And, and I think that, that's the main thing is also the language that we use. People keep calling it a heart attack, a singular. Mine wasn't singular, it was maybe six, seven, yeah. Eight thing, eight times. So the physical appearance of heart attacks is changing. Yeah. Um, we still do get these, uh, as you've described, these traditional heart attacks. People still do get chest pains. Uh, you still do get blokes having heart attacks, and especially people with all the risk factors. 
But the spectrum has gone much wider now, much wider, for a variety of reasons, um, probably because our diagnostics are much better. Um, so if we rewound back to the 70s or the 80s or when I was a junior doctor in London here, I suspect I personally missed lots and lots of heart attacks only because we didn't have the diagnostic tools. Whereas nowadays, we've got very sensitive markers for heart attacks, and we can pick up really small heart attacks. And that's redefining the, what we call the, the, how people present with heart attacks as well. So we are learning, but I think we haven't really caught up with where we should be. So, and that, that, the problem is the legacy that we've left behind. We have got the treatments. I think we do know who, who to treat. It, it's just that there's a, now a misperception. There's a, there's a branding issue here about what actually is a heart attack that we need to change. And I've got to say, I do feel really well now, but it, it's taken, we were talking earlier, Chris, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I had a heart attack. I mean, I, I, it, knocked this, it knocked me for six emotionally and mentally for a while. I mean, I'm a speaker, I speak about confidence, I speak at conferences, and I really lost my confidence in, inside. And I was a little bit embarrassed, because I thought, people are going to think that I'm... You know, I've, I've had a blocked artery. That's disgusting. Ugh. You know, I mean, it's not... And I wasn't sure whether to go public, you know, because I've worked with the British Heart Foundation before and I've always been a supporter of it. Um, it, was a, it took me a while to kind of decide to share my story. And because I feel okay now, I feel, I feel I've got my kind of confidence back, I've got my mojo back. But, it, you know, that was quite difficult to come forward and say, you know... It's okay, you know, I'm not a really, I'm not a bad person. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point about, yeah. about women and body image, that, yeah. that you're, you're supposed to be so responsible for maintaining how you look and how fit you are and all the rest of it, that, yeah, when, when your body just lets you down, you know, your, your genes let you down, or, I mean, your G-E-N-E-S, my other genes let me down all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but you feel, I mean, what a weird thing to do, to feel guilty, but this yeah. room full of, I think if it was a room full of men, they'd be going, what? Yeah. A room full of women, guilt around your body. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, of course, of course a heart attack would make you feel guilty. You feel guilty if you're eating a cake. Mm -hmm. So it, that's really, I've never thought of that. And I then you would put it off because, you know, it's your responsibility, you know, just what you were saying, was it yoga breathe your way through? You weakling. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt. And as women, generally, we're very harsh and very critical of ourselves, much more critical than you ever would be about another person. You'd never say to someone else, you had a heart attack. God, how did that happen? You just wouldn't do it, but we're, we're much harsher on ourselves. But aren't women presenting late as well because they're confusing their symptoms, they're brushing them off? Well, I would rather see people coming to hospital and, and for me to screen them and say, there's nothing wrong, go home than actually the late presentation, yeah. where I say, well, I know exactly what's happened, but I'm now uh, um, constrained by what I can do to help you. When you say screening, do you have to be tethered up with loads of wire around you? Yes, so if, if you present with what we call the symptoms of a heart attack, if you're screened and you have your biochemical markers, and you'll also have an ECG, the electrocardiograph, and those are the initial things along the history and examination that we would use to exclude a heart attack. And if they're, they're all normal, and you've got a low chance of actually having that heart attack, in which case you'd be reassured and go home. To Alexandra's point earlier, what tests should women be asking for then to discover whether they are susceptible to having a heart attack? Um, so, again, this is about the symptoms you present with and your risk factors, which we might come on to later. So you've mm. got to have what we call the a priori, some, some 
some, something that will put you into a higher risk category before the symptoms. Um, so, th in terms of the investigation, what we would do as, a, 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 as physicians or cardiologists, we would talk about the history. So ask you questions. How do you present? Were you doing yoga and were you more breathless than you should have been? Um, and, and then we'll examine you. So are there signs and features, or signs, physical signs, to suggest a heart attack? And often that there aren't. Uh, and then we'll wire you up and do the ECG, and then we'll take some blood markers. And we might just do one marker, but we often do two or a series of blood markers, and certainly a series of ECGs. And depending on what those ECGs show, and the biomarkers show, will determine how we treat you. Now, um, when the ambulance is called um, to a suspected heart attack, the ambulance crew should uh, be uh, paramedic qualified and they should uh, deliver an ECG. And we know that from our research, our heart attack research, that that is not always the case. So a number of patients who definitely have a heart attack don't always have a pre-hospital ECG. That's higher in women. Okay, so we've already got a learning point. So what are the barriers to having an ECG uh, in women compared with men. And it might be that there are issues here with exposing patients in their home to have an ECG. Who, who knows? That's ongoing research as well that the BHF are funding. Um, but uh, one of the easiest things to do is the ECG, and if it can be done in an emergency situation, there are some very simple things that you'll see on ECG that mean you should go straight to VJ in a big hospital uh, where we will do an emergency operation. And that, that's not the same for every type of heart attack, but it's a very easy diagnostic algorithm. To get an ECG, you've got to, to get somebody to give you yeah. the ECG. Uh -huh. So you mm. don't want to be having yeah. a heart attack by the time you get to that point. Yeah. What's the, what are the kind of stats on GPs and their referrals of so, women versus uh, men? So the question Alexandra is referring to is catching before mm. the mm. event the event happens to uh, Esther. Is, for example, uh, what I say to my patients is um, any kind of symptoms, it's hot until proved otherwise. Get it in your head. The, the, the bottom line is heart disease, cardiovascular disease is number one killer for women. So do not ignore your symptoms. Esther is a typical uh, classical example. She's got a family history mm. of heart disease. So in your 30s, in your 40s, if somebody has had heart disease in your family, go to your GP. We have access to GP in this country. Um, and say, is there anything I need to do? So the GP should really be testing your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your sugar. A lot of undiagnosed diabetes happens in women also. Undiagnosed. Don't be afraid to take notes at this point, because I wish I had a pad. Undiagnosed <laughs> blood pressure. It builds and builds. One thing I see in the cath lab when I'm doing the procedure is women's arteries are very coily. They are, it's supposed to be nice and straight, and that's because years of high blood pressure that hasn't been diagnosed and treated. And, and for me, it's a challenge fixing, trying to take a stent around a coiled uh, coronary artery, but that's technology, we've got to fix that. But that's the key thing. So if you have a family history of heart disease, please, please ask your GP, is there anything that I need to be doing or do you need to do any tests? So diabetes is a risk uh, factor. Cholesterol is another thing and very surprising you, you, you do that. At the time of heart attack, your cholesterol, because of the shock, it's supposed to go down. In women, you check it at 6.5. It's supposed to be less than 3, the total cholesterol. So had they identified that 10 years ago, your risk of having heart attack is significantly minimized. 
And the other most important thing for women as such is um, women get pregnant in the 20s and 30s. And during that time, your doctor would have told you your blood pressure is a bit high during your pregnancy. And then the baby comes along, all the attention goes on the baby, and the high blood pressure story gets totally forgotten, and not anybody, not even single aspirin again. But those women that have a slightly elevated blood pressure, if it is significantly elevated, it's called the preeclampsia and eclampsia again. Papers suggest that they are not on any form of treatment uh, for women in their 30s, and they are significantly higher risk of experiencing heart attack and also not surviving in the next 10 years. So if you've experienced any of, that, any of those during your pregnancy, it's absolutely vital that you go and ask your GP, do, you, do I need to have my blood pressure checked? So those are the key areas of addressing the risk factors, particularly for women. Um, in order to avoid the situation where you were in. Perhaps had you been on aspirin or statin prior to that, who knows, we could have prevented that. Uh, Chris's statistics says that we could have saved 8,000 women's life if they, were tr if they received the right treatment. And it happens every day. I see it. That's why it's so frustrating for me to see that, gosh, why aren't you on even an aspirin? Why aren't you on a statin? Because nobody told me. I didn't think. I didn't think heart disease would, would affect me. And um, one more thing I'd like to add regarding the, um, the lifestyle or the perception is, for women, when you tell them it's cancer, perhaps they will take, if they had breast cancer, they would say, okay, fine, yeah, I'm a woman, I get it. Tell a woman they've had a heart attack, it's the biggest shock they've ever had. Are there life stages where women are more susceptible to heart attacks? Yeah. So when, when they're pregnant, they're more susceptible to having them, and then is it over a certain age? So the pregnancy actually, uh, gestational diabetes, blood pressure, which gets diagnosed at the time of pregnancy but never get treated. So it puts women at a higher risk. As Sorry, is that because it, it carries on after the baby's born and we just forget about it? Or is it because of the effects of just that finite, Once the baby is thing? born, the glucose gets back to normal. Sometimes the blood pressure gets back to normal. But the effect that it had had on the physiology of the body is a predictor of future cardiovascular events. So it needs to be treated. Or if they're gonna have more babies, it'll recur again. So multiple episodes happening with multiple pregnancies is another um, indicator of future cardiovascular events, including heart attacks and, and unfortunately deaths as well. Um, so that, that's a very important question. So again, the pregnancy, which is unique to women uh, and younger age, we've talked about it. And somebody mentioned about menopause. So estrogen is an amazing hormone. It protects women um, from a lot of things. It keeps the blood cells apart from clotting together. It protects the inner layer of the blood vessels from developing atherosclerosis and clot progression. So we find that um, after menopause, there's a steep increase in women and heart disease. Uh, which is why you find that in the statistics, some of the statistics, you'll find that heart disease actually parallels or increases ahead of men beyond the menopause because the protective effect of the menopause is, um, a protective effect of the estrogen is lost. That's even more important that at the time of menopause, in the mid-50s or early 60s, it's really important that women go to their GP and get everything checked, blood pressure checked. Um, uh, glucose checked. And if you're smoking, that's not a good thing for the heart. I say to my <laughs> patients, it's like pouring petrol into a burning 
flame. That's exactly what happens. And it's like a volcano erupting within your coronary artery, and you don't want that. If it happens in the heart, it causes heart attack. If it happens in the brain, it causes stroke. If it happens in the leg, it causes gangrene. And how many women do we see every day with stroke and heart disease and legs falling apart? And most of it are preventable. And we have treatments and drugs that are available and lifestyle. Exercise, stopping smoking, eating healthy can definitely uh, prevent uh, women from experiencing this in the future. I think the underlying theme here is that um, you know, your life course, you're exposed to risk. It, it, it's, it, it's an ongoing thing. It's not an immediate thing. And this is about investing in the long-term outcomes. And, uh, and as we get older, all of us, uh, our risk of heart disease go, goes higher. So we should be thinking about those risk factors at each stage throughout our life. Um, and clearly, if we address those risk factors earlier on, we're going to reduce the risk of heart disease, even if HRT isn't at any benefit or not. Um, but the, you know, the, the underlying principle here is, you know, preventing heart disease is all about your family history, about your smoking, about your cholesterol, your diabetes, and a few other factors, obesity and exercise. And if we, if we can address those going through our life, then that will definitely reduce our, our risk of Kind of going forward. Thank you. Dr. Sean, a mum of, of two young women in their 20s, is their attitude to wellness and engaging with the, with the health services different to ours, would you say? Are they more aware of that? Um, I, I think that it's, a, it's up to the parent or the familyhood, <coughs> as I call it, to lead by example. And uh, so that's how I've brought up my girls. So I think health is supremely important enough. They couldn't even be accused of being hypochondriac. Um, but it's, I think it's really important. Actually, my girls do get regular checkups, and they are very good at it. And they they believe in exercise and good nutrition. And they're so so. I think lead by example. We in this room we're we're very privileged, and and we're we're sat in in you know we live in London, and we we lead a very privileged lifestyles. But the the hardest socioeconomic groups to to target by public <coughs> services are those of the lower socioeconomic incomes. Um, so how do you think that we can target those people, the hardest to reach, and get them to engage with public services, get them to look after their health better? My friend Tanya from Hull, she lives below the, the poverty line. Mm. And, uh, and it's her daughter, Olivia, who's six, who's making her walk to school and taking herself sensibly and eating apples. Uh, but Olivia, age six, is making mum do that. Mm. And um, and so, because mum says that she can't eat a cabbage out of the allotment because she saw a worm in it once. So, so I think a lot, a lot is to do with the getting these children to really be educated, mm. to educate mum and dad who are not taking this seriously. So that, that, I suppose that would be my role, is to get in there and go back to Tonya and, and make her talk more about it. Um, mm. Because she, she knows that she can do something about it, how she does it, all over below the poverty line. I don't know. Mm. I, I'm from the South Wales Valleys and I, and I see this all the time. Um, Lucy, can the media help targeting people from the lower socioeconomic income? It's, it's difficult. I would say, A, that's not the media's job. It's that's the job of, you know, a, a government that ideally would care and genuinely be trying to reach the people who are hard, are hard to reach. By, because the thing is, to be healthy takes a lot of social capital as well as actual money it takes the time to be able to make appointments a lot of my family are on benefits and you literally have to give them money because they'll run out by the time that even if they know this appointment's coming and they've kept track of things 
they won't have the petrol in the car to get there. Multiply that by millions and millions, and that's, that's the public health crisis. And you've got, obviously, the NHS being overstretched at the other end, and you've got this massive gulf into which people who can, don't have the sharp elbows and the time and the, the energy, the simple energy, to access what still is out there, even. Uh, and it's a massive, massive problem. And the media actually can't do much to fix that. It can, all, in a way, you know, it can provide information, it can, it can increase knowledge and dispel ignorance if it, if it goes about things the right way. But in the end, um, no, you need, you, need, you need people with surplus to be able to help themselves and prioritise them themselves. Otherwise, it's just living moment to moment, day to day, week to week if you're lucky. No, you're not going to take care of yourself. And the media can't really do much about that except wag its finger and go, shouldn't you be richer and able to do this kind of thing? You know, that's not going to work. And a lot of time, people stuck in that rut and they can go down the generations aren't engaging with the media much either. You forget. That you, and then you go out to, a, you know, a different gathering or a family do and you say, oh, I saw, did you see that thing on Twitter? And they go, no. Do I have time to fuck about on Twitter? You know, and you, you've realised that you're an absolute knob end. And <laughs> you forget, and, and politicians are in a bubble within a bubble within a bubble, and, you know, no wonder. They don't even begin to appreciate what needs to be done, what the, what the gulf between need and ability is. But there is an interesting thing that... Um is happening with kind of recycling and um, climate change, which isn't the idea that you can start working into things like the soaps um, information mm. so that, you know, something like uh, EastEnders says, this, this is a basic thing. Mm. You start actually having these kind of things discussed um, as part, because people actually do watch television. It's a very kind of potent way of getting messages across. And something like women's heart health, I would have thought would be a, a perfect candidate for mm. that. You know, you have a young woman with a heart attack on EastEnders mm. and the reasons yeah. why. And that, yeah. that kind of thing can really help. My parents, I may go home every three months. I kid you not, every evening, regardless of the fact they haven't seen their grandkids for the last three months, they watch the soaps from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. And their perception of gay people, of trans people has all been changed from watching the soaps not from reading newspapers <coughs> and i firmly believe organizations like the british heart foundation should be trying to manipulate soap storylines to, to get this message across if i can speak to the to the doctors in the room then what would be the key message that you want to, people to take away today DJ? so heart disease is preventable and there are certain things i when you come to me i can help you i can be with you for about an hour but you've got the entire life in your hands, so it's completely preventable. So look after yourself as best as possible. Packing in cigarettes, exercise, eating healthy, and seeking help. Please do not be afraid to ask for help. And think it's your heart first than anything else. Don't put it off. Thank you. Um, Vijay mentioned eating healthy there, Chris. Can you just, in very top line, mm. What is eating healthy for your heart? How does that look? So everything in moderation. Everything in moderation. So plenty of uh, uh, fruit and veg, fibre, less, less of the carbs, less of the sugar, less of the fats. Uh, and, and with that, a healthy lifestyle. You know, it, uh, it's, it, it, it sounds really easy, but it's delivering on it. Mm. What, would, uh, what would my, be my message for you guys to take home? Um, uh, yes, cardiovascular disease affects women. And mm. spread the word. 
Thank you. Alexandra, can we rebrand Heart Attacks? Is it achievable? <laughs> uh, I don't think you want to rebrand heart attacks. I think the word heart attack are the actual kind of really motivating idea. The idea that you're having a heart attack is the whole thing. But I, I do think that, you know, the, the, when you were talking about, you know, boobs and newspaper coverage and everything, well, actually, the heart is an incredibly potent symbol. Mm. And I would have thought that it would be quite easy to, to do something around kind of heart images. And I think heart first is a really really interesting idea that you know because it's not what you think about we probably think about our heart somewhere about fifth or sixth and um so i would i would be very much against rebranding a heart attack because i think heart attack is 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 the issue i think there's a lot of visual imaging imagery mm. that messaging that could go on that would be really good Thank I'd you. just say, put two hearts in a bra, see how far we get. <laughs> <laughs> Another good idea. <laughs> Lucy, what's the, the, the most potent message you've taken away? I'm trying, not, I'm trying for the message I've taken away not to be, we're all going to oh. die much sooner than we think. Because <laughs> uh, I've got enough to worry about. And I, yeah, they just the, the heart first, and it's such a... It's the wellspring, isn't it? It's, mm. um, we get distracted by the external stuff and the kind of you know, slightly transgressive stuff, like all, all the vagina talk there's been recently. Um, you know, and all about that kind of health below the waist. It's all been a bit, you know, that's, it's got that going for it. So you, that's what's gained the attention. And now we have to build on that and say, also, your non-sexy parts are important. Your, the, the, the part you share with everyone, every other human on the planet is also important. Because um, it's, yeah, that goes wrong. We're all buggered. Thank you. <laughs> Duchess, you're an ambassador for British Heart Foundation. What do you hope that the future looks like for heart health of women and the, its awareness for British women? Well, I, I think obesity is such a big, huge thing as well. And it's so hard. I think we need to spread the awareness on how we help your friends, um, family members who are... Um, I think we really need to focus on that. Mm. And I really think that would be really good. That maybe if, we all, if I came up to Newcastle and came and openly was filmed being tested oh, oh, oh. come on let's let's lead by examples i'd like to come in and go through all the tests openly publicly and talk about it oh i've written a shopping list of things i'm gonna have i'm gonna have a mammogram i'm gonna have a you're gonna be busy then yeah yeah yeah, yeah but luckily guess what i can that's the message we need to make sure everyone can Chris, do you have anything to add? Just to re-emphasise again, you know, my, my motto here is that yes, women do have heart, heart disease, and that, it's, a, it's a very clear message that don't, don't ignore it. Um, and actually, heart disease is, is a life course. It's, you know, you start right at the beginning, invest in your heart all the way through. Well, finally, Esther, it seems fitting to, to finish with you. You're, you're here, you have two wonderful children. Thank you. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that you're healthy and you're here to tell your story. How have you changed your outlook on life since what really could have been a near-death experience for you? Well, it's a real cliche, but life's too short. You know, mm. I, I've been, I've suffered imposter syndrome. Am I good enough? Am I, I'm not good enough. I've just decided I'm quite shameless and I'm quite proud of it. <laughs> and why not? Go, do things that you wouldn't normally do. Take a risk. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Get out there, and I'm writing a book this year about public speaking. I used to be a nervous speaker, now I'm, now I'm a public speaker. I do that as my job. Why not get out there, and whatever your career is, whatever your dreams are, and all, that, all those cliches, 
but seriously, when you have a health issue, you have no choice. And, and, and to, be able to, to be able to just take a step back and say, what the hell was I worrying about? And I still sometimes have to remind myself, just remember to live your life and enjoy it. And tell everyone <laughs> to go and get an ECG. Yeah, there's only a few wires here. What have you taken away? You've done all the work. <laughs> Thank you. I've just learned so much. I've learned so much. Um, I, I was sharing with the, the British Heart Foundation guys um, before we started that I had episodes in January when I ended up at St George's having my, my heart checked and I genuinely was saying to the paramedic I don't have time for a heart attack mm. don't be ridiculous look how healthy I am it turned out that it was we think para, um, panic attack linked to being in the menopause um, but even then I didn't take it seriously and now I, I've listened to all these stories and yeah the, the message I'm going to take away is that health is precious and we we all need to take note I'm afraid we have to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining this evening. It was, it was fascinating and inspirational, and I do hope that you've learned vital information that you're going to take away with you. Thank you so much. It's a great honour to be with the British Heart Foundation and to be an ambassador. I thought that um, the panel were really good. Let's not make it so complicated. Right? It's not about them or us. It's not about uh, whether you're rich or poor or where you come from. We all have a heart and we have to make a change. It, that's it. That's the message. And, and, and I do think that the heart can be romantic and sexy. And I think that we could have some really good fun with that. But come on, everybody. Let's cut to the bottom line. Do you want to live? <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Ticker Tapes. For more information on the campaign, or to download a copy of the Bias and Biology Briefing, please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash women.